Afternoon. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, almost happy Easter to you. I uh, hope you're enjoying the lovely weather outside. Uh, you know, I find that people believe all sorts of weird stuff. Let me give you a, a few examples. You know, one of the things we say as Americans a lot, when things are going well, we say we don't want to jinx it, whatever that is, and then we'll often say, and so knock on wood, right? As if as soon as you knock the wood, then the wood will know to hold the universe together, right? But we, I don't know, we just say it. Uh, sports superstitions is another great example, right? And so if your team is losing, we believe that we can do certain things at home or in the stadium that will turn them around. Uh, I'm a, a lifelong Vikings fan, and so I, I remember watching the Vikings in high school with my friends, and we had this thing that whenever the Vikings were losing, so say most of the time, uh, we, our tradition was you would grab a couch pillow and you would sit on the couch pillow and surely that would turn things around, right? And clearly that's paid off for the Vikings in big games. Now, all sorts of funny things that people believe in, right? People believe that the moon landing was faked, right? People believe that the earth is flat. And some of these things cause us to even question, you know, one of the American truisms of today, which is whatever's true for you must be true. Because if your friend comes up to you and they say, I just strongly believe that the earth is flat, and that's just true for me, right? Most of us would say, uh, well, our beliefs actually should have some evidence behind them. And see, I believe that we can apply that same sort of logic to Christianity, which makes some pretty amazing claims about what happened in history. Christianity says that, you know, roughly 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son, Jesus, to earth, who when he was 33 years old, he died on a cross, and then he was resurrected from the dead. He was brought back to life. You see, everything in Christianity hinges on Easter, on the resurrection, which happened on the first Easter. And so, if the evidence shows that it's highly unlikely that Jesus resurrected, then I just say to you right now, then Christianity is a sham. I mean, even the Bible raises this question. 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen says, And if Christ, Jesus, has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, personally, I'm not really a person that faith comes all that easily to. I didn't grow up a Christian. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I wanted to know the facts. Was Christianity actually true, or was it not? And because if it wasn't, I didn't want to follow Jesus. And so today, at our Easter service, what we want to do is we want to actually look, is there any evidence, not just Oh, just believe it. No, but is there any evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? And we're going to do so today by uh, looking at a passage here in just a little bit. But I just want you to know, this isn't just a church where we say, you know, just believe and ignore the facts. We believe that the facts ought to fuel our belief. Now, of course, when you talk about the resurrection, there is no video evidence, right? You can't find the resurrection of Christ on YouTube. Like, the disciples didn't bring selfie sticks to the tomb, Right? And so that's okay, because even if you were to go to uh, the courthouse, the vast majority of trials don't have video evidence, but you can still study the rest of the evidence and come to a conclusion. And now Christianity is actually fascinating in studying the evidence, because Christianity happens and is birthed right out in public, which is really different from basically any other religion. Let me give you a few examples. In Mormonism, uh, for example... 
uh, the, its founder, Joseph Smith, discovers the golden plates, and then he alone can translate them into the Book of Mormon. Uh, in Buddhism, uh, Buddha's enlightenment happens while he's meditating by himself under a tree. In Islam, Muhammad goes into a cave where over, you know, on and off again over a period of 23 years, the angel Gabriel purportedly reveals the Quran to Muhammad and Muhammad alone. But Christianity is birthed right out in public with a whole slew of eyewitnesses and a wide variety of sources that sort of chronicle what happened. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the evidence, and we're going to look at it as it's purported, and we're going to study it through a letter that's written in the Bible by a man named Paul. Uh, if you want to follow along in the Bible, you can. That's up to you. There's a Bible under every chair if you'd like to do it that way. Uh, we're going to be on page 933, or you can use the Renovation Church app if you have that, or you can download it. You just tap Bible in weekly verses. Now, Paul was one of Christianity's most famous converts uh, and leaders, and he's writing a letter to the people in Corinth, uh, which is in Greece. So here's what he says. So this is chapter 15 in the Bible. So you see a big 15. We're going to start at the small number 3, and it's page 933. It says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He becomes a Christian later in life, essentially, he means, in, in, in the story. So as we examine the resurrection evidence, I, I want to just pull out three different types of evidence that Paul is referring to in his letter. First of which is a timeline of information, the second prophecies fulfilled, and the third eyewitnesses listed. So let's just walk through these. First we start with the timeline. If you're looking at evidence in a situation, timeline matters a lot. And so if something happens significantly after the event, well that's different than if it happens right after the event. And so look what Paul says again. Just, let's just look at just verse 3. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So Paul's passing on to them this information about Jesus, that he died and he resurrected. But did you catch that? We're actually in the past tense here. He already passed on to them. Okay, so if we were to put this on the timeline, you start over here, you have, well, the timeline would probably be backwards for you. We'll start over here. Okay, so Jesus dies on the cross, and then historians tell us that it's 20 years later that Paul is writing this letter to Corinth. But Five years before that, he actually visited Greece. He visited Corinth. And it was then, and that's what he's referring to, then he told them about how he saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. And so 15 years is sort of our distance from event to one of the sort of first recorded tellings. Now, you may say, oh, 15 years. 15 years in a situation like this is not a long time. Uh, let me explain. How many of you would say that you remember where you were and what you were doing on September 11th, 2001. Right? Most of us, if you're old enough, remember that day vividly, right? And we weren't even eyewitnesses. We watched it on TV. And yet it is just almost seared in our memories. And so Christianity is recorded. Now, September 11th is how long? Essentially, what, 16 and a half years now, believe it or not? And Paul is talking 15 years later. 
So Christianity is recorded while it's still very fresh in the minds of its eyewitnesses. That's very different from what people often compare Christianity to, kind of like a legend or a tall tale. Now, literary scholars will tell you that if, if you want to study legends or like a tall tale, that they all have one thing in common. And that is, in order for something to be a legend, your eyewitnesses have to die off first. Right? And so it's a lot easier for you to create a legend, say, about like the Civil War. You know, say you want to tell your friend that in the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln once rode into battle on a bear, right? Like, I suppose if you had a gullible friend, maybe you could kind of posit that towards them. You know, it's a lot easier than, say, trying to make up a legend about, say, September 11th. Why? Because we're so close to the event still. And it's a huge piece of evidence for Christianity. It's recorded shortly after it happens. The second piece of evidence that Paul lists in this passage is the prophecies that are fulfilled. This is verse 4. He says that he, Jesus, was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Okay, what does that mean? It means that in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, that there are all these prophecies about what would happen to Jesus Christ, and that he has fulfilled them. Now, if you're a skeptical person, say you're not, you're here today, you're like, let's just get to the egg hunt, please, right? And you're, just, you're not a spiritual person. The idea of prophecies fulfilled doesn't really seem like evidence, right? And I, I get what you're coming from. I used to be on, on that side of the table. But I want you just to hear me out from a mathematical perspective. So let's just leave the whole spiritual aspect out of it. What if you came to me 10 years ago, let's say 2008, you said, David, I have some predictions for what's going to happen over the next decade, and I, I can basically tell you they're going to happen. And you said to me, let me tell you three things that are going to happen in the next 10 years. You'll say, the Cubs, never going to believe this, are going to win the World Series. And then you say, and secondly, 10 years from now, some, you know Justin Bieber? Some people will still be listening to him 10 years from now. And then thirdly, you say, and you'll never guess who's going to become president, right? And see, you make these guesses in, in 2008. See, mathematically, the chances of correctly predicting even just three things like that would be astronomical. In fact, there was a study done once by a guy uh, named Dr. Uh, Peter Stoner. He once worked with 600 different mathematicians to calculate the odds of one person fulfilling eight random predictions about their life before they were born. And here's what they found out. They said the chances of you fulfilling eight predictions before you, that were made before you were born are the odds of one in ten to the 21st power. So that's one in with a one and then 21 zeros after it. Now, if I just gave you like a traumatic flashback to seventh grade math, uh, another way that they explained those odds was it would be the same odds as if you took silver dollars and you covered the entire land mass of Earth. And you not only cover the entire land mass of Earth, you stack those silver dollars 120 feet high. And then after that, you took one of them, and you made a special little drawing on it, and you walked across the earth, and you buried it in the stack somewhere. Then you got a friend, and you said, why don't you start walking all over earth, and I will give you one chance to pick out a silver dollar, see if you can find the one that I marked. Those are the odds of a person fulfilling eight predictions about their life before they were born. Now, Jesus actually fulfills 61 predictions made about his life 
prophecies from God of what would happen that were made hundreds of years before he was born. 61 prophecies, predictions like that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem, uh, that the Savior's hands and feet would be pierced, that he would be born of the tribe of Judah, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He fulfills all of them. And a lot of those are things that he couldn't control, meaning you couldn't just fabricate yourself fulfilling the prediction. Like, you can't control where you're born, for example. Paul then lists a third piece of evidence, and he goes through a list of eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Let's just look at that again, starting in verse 5. He says, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than the 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so he mentions that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrections, a guy named Cephas, he's also known as Peter, so one of the disciples, and the rest of the 12 disciples. Now, The 12 disciples are instrumental in the initial spread of Christianity. They're telling people that Jesus actually resurrected from the dead. Now, if if you were skeptical of this, one of the lines of argument that you would make next is, yeah, but couldn't the disciples just lied about the whole thing? There, There is not a scholar on earth that disputes that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who lived. But let's say the disciples followed this guy, the Romans execute him, and they're just kind of sad about the whole thing, and so they make up this lie that, no, 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 he's still alive. Okay, that's, that's plausible, right? It's absolutely, it's plausible, but there are some holes to that particular theory. Usually, when religious people make up lies to propagate something, they do it because they're going to gain something out of it. Cults are a great example of this. You gain typically power or money, for example. And so we would have to ask the question, okay, what did the disciples gain in making up this lie? Nothing. In fact, they were, they were persecuted. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. Eleven out of the twelve disciples were murdered for their faith. Now, you could say back to that, you could say, yeah, but pe- people die for lies all the time. That's, that's actually true. Except the difference is you don't die for a lie that you know to be a lie. And so, for example, when they're about to murder you, they're about to feed your kids to lions in the Colosseum. Right? That's when you say, okay, oh, <laughs> just, everybody hold up, everybody hold up. We made it up. But they never say that because they were actually eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. Uh, Chuck Colson, who was a major player in President Nixon's administration, actually was put in jail for his role in the presidential scandal of Watergate, later said this in his life. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. 
See, this is a public event. It's not like you don't have one person who's out in the wilderness having a revelation and then writing it down 20 years later. So it's completely different. Completely different. You have a lot of a lot of public evidence that if it's a lie, you can prove it's a lie. Let me explain it this way. And so we're told that Jesus resurrects from the dead, and then he makes appearances to all sorts of people for a period of 40 days. And then the Bible says that he ascends back into heaven after that, and 10 days later, so we're 50 days past Easter now, Jesus tells the disciples, or God tells the disciples to start spreading the word. And Christianity from that day, so 50 days after the resurrection, starts spreading like wildfire. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people believe in a matter of days. And so what happens in history is that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were absolutely furious that the Jewish people were believing that Jesus was the Messiah, that he resurrected from the dead. And so they're, they're, they're just convinced that they've got to just stomp this out. And, and so they, they start arresting some of the Christians, some of the disciples. They flog them. They imprison them. They even start to murder some of them. Okay, but listen to the evidence here. This isn't 25 years later. This is 50 days later. Now, if you're the Jewish leaders, and you, you just want to do everything that you can to stop your people from believing that Jesus resurrected, there's one really simple way to stop this. What is it? Go to the tomb, right? And pull out his body. Except they don't do that. Because they can't do that. Because it's not there. Because he's alive. See, this is honestly one of the main reasons that Christianity spread so fast in the first year. Because no one could produce the body. People believed not just because of faith. They believed because of what the evidence said. Christianity, we just get this wrong nowadays. Christianity wasn't some new philosophy or a new way to improve your life. It was a historical event that happened and changed the world. So our passage, Paul goes on, he says, yeah, there's even more. There's more eyewitnesses. One time, Jesus even appeared to 500 people at the same time. And by the way, most of those people are still alive. And so if you have some questions, why don't you go and ask them? He goes on and he says, one of the people that he appeared to is James. We hear that and we go, okay, James, that's great. Good for James, right? Well, James is actually Jesus' brother. And James was famous because before Jesus resurrected, James was a critic. He didn't believe in Jesus. And so how does James go from, my brother is crazy, he's lost his mind, to after the resurrection, he's worshiping his brother? How does that happen? Because he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. In fact, historical sources outside of the Bible tell us that James was actually thrown off the temple by the Jewish leaders. They broke his legs, and when he didn't die, they began to stone him. And as he was about to die, they said, we'll give you one more chance. Just recant and just say, hey, you didn't see it. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But he refused to recant because he was an eyewitness to the resurrection. And then Paul, of course, even lists himself. Paul was an incredibly educated man, unbelievably smart. He had made it his mission to basically rid the world of Christianity. That was his job arresting Christians and putting them in jail so they would stop talking about it. Until one day, he saw the resurrected Jesus. Changed his life, became one of the most influential people in all of 
history. See, evidence matters. But again, because we don't have irrefutable evidence, right, there's no video, we all have to take a leap of faith somewhere based upon the facts that we have. But let me tell you something I, I always try and remind people of. Every person has faith. Everybody has faith. Right? Even if you're sitting here this afternoon and you're going, yeah, I just don't believe that Jesus Christ resurrected. Well, since you don't have proof that he did not resurrect, that means you have to have a level of faith that he did not. Think of it this way. Okay, let's pretend that this stage is like a continuum. And let's say the very far end of this stage, all the way to the edge, is, represents 100% fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Like You just know 100%, hey, he did it. And let's say the other end of the stage represents 100% fact that you know there's no way that Jesus resurrected. It's just, it's impossible. Christianity is a sham, and I'm certain of it. Okay, our job in life is to look at the evidence. And I feel like I've spent my life looking at the evidence, and where it's brought me is to somewhere about here. Now, I'm telling you, I don't have, I haven't seen the video. I don't have 100% fact in front of me that he resurrected from the dead. This is where it's brought me. So at some point, there's a leap of faith. But here's what I want you to see. The leap of faith, as I see it, to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead is significantly, a significantly smaller leap of faith than the leap of faith you have to take to believe that he did not resurrect from the dead. See, we sometimes create this false dichotomy in America where we say, well, I believe in Jesus or I just don't believe. No, everybody believes. It's just how big of a leap is your belief? So what if it's true? What if this is true? What if there is a God and he did send his son to earth and he resurrected from the dead? What does that mean for your life? I think it means that every one of us have got to reckon with that and begin to take steps forward in seeking that out. The steps you take probably depend on where you are on the spectrum. Maybe you still think I'm crazy. That's okay. There was a time in my life where I would have said, that dude is crazy. Maybe this has just begun to pique your interest. One of the things I would say to you is just open up the Bible tonight, tomorrow, for yourself. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a Bible, uh, take the Bible under your chair with you. That's fine. If you, uh, uh, even use the Renovation Church app, download that. You can read the Bible right on your phone if you don't like reading books. And just begin to explore it. This is what changed my life. I said, I'm going to read the Bible for myself. And just see what it says. Start at the book of Matthew. You write that down if you want to just investigate it. Just say, I'm going to start just seeking out God to see if this is real. Here's one of the best things I think you could do, just as a, if you want to get really practical, is just make a commitment to say, I'm going to come back. In fact, I want to challenge every person in this room right now to take what we're calling the three-week challenge. And that is, if God is real, the Bible says that if you seek him, like, I'm going to figure this out. If this really happened, if this is real, it says, if you seek him, you will find him. And so I just encourage you to say, I'm, we're going to try this out. We're just going to test this out. I'm going to come three weeks in a row. You are already one of three weeks in. Just give yourself a, just a hand for a second. Congratulations, right? <laughs> I, I love that you actually give yourself a hand. That was great. Okay. Uh, just to say, uh, if this is real and God is real, if I seek him, what could he do in your life? 
to just keep coming back. But see, I think there's probably some others of you in this room where you're ready to just believe, to fully believe today. That God has maybe even already done some things in your life to get you in this room today. Here you are in the church, and God is doing some things in your life. And if this is true, if Jesus really resurrected and he died, then understanding why that happened is paramount for your life. So why did it happen? Okay, well, what did it say in the Bible when we read it today? Verse 3, Paul said, For what I received but was what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. So Paul says the reason that Jesus died on the cross in the first place was for our sins. Okay, but what does that mean? It means that every person in this room, we all sin. Sin is like a, a bad choice, a mistake. The things we do to hurt God, to hurt other people. We all sin. Imagine like each sin is a note card. Let's just say it's written down. Oh, that guy, he, he hit somebody, he lied, he was greedy. And each sin we add a, a note card. As we, as we get older, that stack of note cards in our life just begins to pile up higher and higher and higher. It's like a pile of moral debt towards God. And see, God is someone that we're all going to meet someday when we die. By the way, the death rate in the United States is still hovering right around 100%. So when you die and you meet God and this stack has gotten higher and higher, God, who is a just judge, must serve out consequence punishment for what this is, right? God has to be just. He can't just pretend like this didn't happen, right? Like, how would you like it if you went to court and someone had just grossly sinned against you and the judge said, I'm just going to pretend like that didn't happen? You'd say, okay, you are not a judge. But God is a just judge. There must be punishment for our sin. And so this, okay, this is the essence of Christianity right here. God is so in love with you I don't care what anyone else has told you about God. He is crazy about you. He's seen everything you've ever done, and he's crazy about you. He just loves you. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And what was he doing on the cross? The Bible says, this is the basic 101 of Christianity. He's dying on the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserved for our sins. He's taking it for us. And then when he resurrected, he's proving that it worked, and that he was the son of God. And then here is the greatest offer in the world to you. Romans 10, 9 from the Bible says this. If, so it's a choice. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. See, I believe there are some people in this room, even today, that are ready to make that step to say, I just, I'm ready to be saved. I'm ready to be forgiven. Now, this doesn't just automatically apply to everyone. When, we are, when Jesus dies on the cross, it's still a choice. This is the choice of your life. Based on the evidence you've seen, are you willing to say, I believe that he died for me? Or do you want to say the opposite? Do you want to say, with faith, I'm going to believe that it's all made up? But the promise to you from God is, if you believe that he died in your place, that you then will be forgiven of everything you've ever done. Your faith, in a sense, just wipes that pile away. And because you are forgiven, then when that 100% death rate comes through and you meet God someday, hopefully long into the future, when that happens, 
that then you will get to spend eternity in heaven because there's no punishment. There's nothing to pay for. It's all been paid for by Jesus. But if you don't believe, you say, nah, I know you, I know you sent your own son to die for me, but I don't think so. Then that pile is still there, and then only we can pay for our sins in eternity, and that's why the Bible talks about hell. But heaven, going to heaven, is believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He's the only, like somebody has to pay for the sins somehow. And I just, I just plead with you this afternoon, let Jesus pay for your sins. And I think some of you, just even today, need to make that choice, to just believe, to let him pay for it. I mean, it doesn't even matter how many other good things you add on the side, because it's not about weighing of scales. It's that something has to be done about our sin. Let Jesus pay for it for you. That's why he came, because he's crazy about you. He doesn't want you to pay for it. He wants to pay for it for you. And so I just think that there are some people that are, maybe you're just ready today to become a believer in Jesus for the first time. To say, I really believe. I want to follow that. Not just to say, I want to be forgiven and go on with my life as usual, but if that happened and God sent his son to die for me, then I want to start following him, to be forgiven, to go to heaven. And so if that's you and you feel like the last couple of minutes I've just been talking right to you and God has brought you here today for that moment, I just want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. So would, would you just humor me just for a minute? Let's just have everybody just close your eyes and bow your head if you want to. Because I just want this to be a special moment for some of you between you and God. If that's you and you just want to tell God for the first time today, that you believe that he sent his son for you. You want to start a relationship with him. You want to spend forever in heaven with him. You want to be forgiven. If that's you, in just a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to just really quietly stand up where you are. Nobody's going to be looking at you. That's why I just had everybody close their eyes. I'm just doing this so you can have that moment in your life that you know it was this day where you said, I believe, I believe, I believe. And so if that's you, wherever you are in this room, and you just feel like God is talking to you today, and you want that pile of sin just erased, you want to start this new life, and it's time to draw the line in the sand. This is what your life is about. If that's you, and you're ready to be forgiven today, I just want you very courageously, but just quietly, just to stand where you are from your seat right now. Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. If you're just here and you know that life is short, because let me just tell you, it is short. For those of you standing, you just keep standing as others join you. And you know that life on earth is just this, and then it's a billion years, and then some in eternity. And you know that you haven't made this decision yet to be forgiven, and you want that today. That is the offer of God to you today. If that's you, I just encourage you to just courageously stand where you are right now. Go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. Who else is just ready to make this decision and say, I just, I believe that it's true. I see the evidence and I'm ready to follow Jesus. Anyone else? If you just feel that in your heart, I just encourage you to just stand up and join these people. Let me just give you maybe 10 more seconds. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? to make this decision. This is what your life is about. 
Like when we, when we die and we meet Jesus, you're going to look back at this moment and go, I thought that guy was crazy, but he was not. Anyone else want to make this choice to be forgiven and start following Jesus? Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. If you change your mind in the next minute or so, just join us. I, I, for those of you, the many of you that are standing, I just want to pray with you. Uh, the Bible says that when we get to this point that we do, as we read, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. So it's not a magic prayer, but just an opportunity for you in this time to tell God where you're at in your life. So I want you to repeat this after me out loud, whether this is the first time you believe this or you believe this your whole life. So everyone who believes in Jesus, you can just say this out loud after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Uh, everybody just keep your eyes closed for maybe 30 more seconds. For the number of you that are standing, I just uh, want to talk to you. I just need one more small thing from you before you sit down. Uh, in just a second, let me just say this. I believe that you just made the most significant decision of your entire life. And a decision of that magnitude requires some more information. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you a few resources, a few next steps over the next two minutes of, okay, what do you do now that you made this decision? And so what I'm going to do, in a second, one of our leaders is going to come up here and pray. I'm going to walk out into the hallway. I just want the number of you, there's a lot of you that are standing. I just want you to follow me out into the hallway. And I'm just going to give you a few resources, next steps. And I promise you, in just a couple minutes, you'll be able to sneak right back uh, into the service. And so we can actually all start walking out now together. uh, And then uh, Dave will pray. So you can come with me.